Good evening, ladies. Um, Frankie asked me last week to introduce tonight's speaker because we are friends. And so I would say yes, yes, we are very good friends. We have studied God's word together. We have vacationed together. We have raised our children and taught our children together. Um, She very patiently educated my teenager about the realities of communism and socialism. She is very smart. She's very well-read, and she is witty. And she is just a steady means of encouragement and truth for me, and I know the other people that are around her. And most of all, I would say that she truly stands on what she's going to talk about tonight. Um, Today, I saw a statement that reminded me of um, things that she has modeled towards me, and it says, and I have no idea who wrote the statement, so I'm sorry if I'm, like, stealing somebody's statement. It says, even if our circumstances don't appear to affirm it, God is still everything he says he is. He is the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I studied that with her, which makes her example so very beautiful to me. I am so grateful to the father who gave me a good gift of friendship with her. So here's her bio. See, that's kind of like the flowery one. Here's her bio, which is a little more straightforward. So Lisa Becker is who I am introducing. She grew up in central Louisiana, and she was claimed by God as his own 45 years ago. She got a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering, and she got her husband at Louisiana Tech. She worked for seven years in the engineering field and then transferred to the homeschooling field. Not sure which one is more difficult there. Um, Where she's been employed at home for 19 years. Her two older students, Claire and Philip, are now off in college. And she still has Marion and Libby at home. She loves God, her family, reading, travel, and volunteering. And she is dangerously susceptible to good fiction, definitely sarcasm, Puzzles, dark chocolate, and dark coffee. So it is my great pleasure to introduce Lisa Becker. Can I make me cry? <laughs> it is a good gift. Yes. Friend is a good gift. Okay, I think my ears just fell off. There we go. Okay, before I get started, I would like to give honor to Frankie and Whitney. They have worked diligently for the past year to spread this table for us every month, and it's been a blessing to me. Thank you. Okay, I want to start by defining hope the way I'm going to talk about it, um, because it's a little different than the, the typical definition, the secular definition is wanting something to happen or be true, according to Merriam-Webster. But the definition for biblical hope, according to Vine's Bible Dictionary, is favorable and confident expectation. And if I put it in my own words, I would say it's certainty of eventual fulfillment of God's good plan and promises. And it seems to me this past year has displayed what the world looks like when people become increasingly aware of the fragility of secular hope. 
Job said the hope of the godless will perish. But the, the Bible refers to the hope of believers with phrases such as hope that does not disappoint, sure hope, better hope. It's rooted in faith. So let me give you all an example. Say I went home tonight and I told my nine-year-old daughter that I was going to take her to the zoo in the morning. She really loves the zoo. If she doesn't have faith that I will keep my word, her promise, I mean her response, will look like cultural hope. She'll be like, I hope we really go. But if she has faith that my word really will happen, her response will resemble biblical hope, joy, excitement, expectation. She will be plotting about Roman candy. Um, so faith functions like the root system for biblical hope. It gives us the support and the nourishment that's necessary for um, our hope to exist and be healthy and abundant. So where do we get biblical hope? Well, Romans 15.4 says, Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So I'm going to flip those. I'm going to talk first about the encouragement of the scriptures. The Bible tells us what God has done in the past, what he's doing in the present, and what he will do in the future. And examining what God has done in the past um, builds our faith, that healthy root system. So I'm just going to focus on two things, because God's been at work for you know, eternity past, and we can't cover all that. So first is the cross. So scripture tells me about the cross. It says, the Lamb of God freely took on himself the wrath for my sin. And so the cross gives me an object lesson of the enormity of God's love and care for me. It is not half-hearted or lukewarm. First John 3.16 says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And second is the resurrection. The resurrection is an object lesson for God's absolute dominion, his power, wisdom, and sovereignty. And it's a demonstration of God's custom of allowing and using what the enemy means for evil for ultimate good instead. And so when I look at those two things, and I meditate on them, and I remember that God loves me, and that he reigns over everything in the universe and in my world. I'll know then that he has both the inclination and the ability to take perfect care of me. And that's when my faith roots flourish. So now let's look at the encouragement of scripture for our present. And I'm just going to talk about three things. First, he is sanctifying us. C.S. Lewis my love, compared the life of a believer to that of an old house that's beginning to disintegrate and asks God to come in and fix it. And this resonated with me because that's the kind of house I live in. And God goes to work. He begins with the leaky roof and the crumbling brick and the dysfunctional plumbing. And we're thrilled. But then he starts knocking out perfectly good walls with a sledgehammer. And it hurts abominably and doesn't make sense. What on earth is he up to? And Lewis says, and I quote, The explanation 
is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to live in it. The second thing he's doing is in that process, he is working all things together for our good. He is always protecting us. Nothing comes our way outside of his care or disruptive to his plan. The afflictions we experience are, according to scripture, light, momentary, and producing eternal glory in us beyond comparing. He never leaves or forsakes us or um, acts as shifting shadow in our light. His sun is always shining on us. He keeps count of every hair on our head and of every tear we cry. And the third thing he is doing in our present is giving us sufficient grace. The scripture tells us that we are being given everything we need for life and godliness. That our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, who doesn't slumber or sleep. That he is ever present in time of need. That he daily bears our burden. See, the greatest good that I could imagine in my circumstances is not necessarily or even usually the greatest good possible. When Jesus told the parable of the kingdom of heaven being like a field with priceless treasure buried in it, the reason to buy the field wasn't how it looked. The kingdom uh, life field can appear barren or messy or even treacherous, but it contains the treasure. Which brings us to the encouragement of scriptures for our future. The Bible doesn't give... Um, all or even a lot of details about our future. But it gives enough. We know that he has glory unimaginable awaiting those who are his. We will be with him. We will be like him. We will be finally free from sinfulness. There will no longer be any death, mourning, crying, or pain. We will be spotless and radiant, restored and utterly fulfilled. We will enjoy perfect fellowship and we will see him as he is. So now let's go back and look at Paul's other point, endurance. The Bible tells us repeatedly to set or fix our hope. The writer of Hebrews actually puts it as take hold of the hope set before you. Well, the psalmist writes that in the midst of intimidating and even terrifying circumstances, God instructs us to be still and know that he is God. This tells us that the battleground for hope is in our minds. Scripture tells us to take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, to think about things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, etc., So basically, I need to examine my thoughts for whether they reflect encouragement of the scriptures. And I need to screen for thoughts that are doubt or despair. And um, one of my favorite demonstrations of this is Psalm 42 and 43. Um, The psalmist talks to himself, which I like because I talk to myself, so I'm validated by it. 
But he tells himself repeatedly, he says, why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. I will yet praise him. He's talking to himself truth. When I look around at my field and it appears barren or nasty or treacherous, I need to actively think on what and where my treasure is. I also need to screen for thoughts that are false hope. The Bible is full of examples of this tendency and so is life um, in our own hearts. Uh, We as humans can put our hope in, um, I'm just going to run through some examples, Um, a spouse. Most of us are beyond that here, but we can put our hopes on changing the spouse we have. Uh, Same thing with a child or children. We have children, so we're not hoping anymore to receive them, but we might be hoping uh, for what they will be or how they will act, you know, that they will validate us or something Uh, We can hope in our own performance. You know, if I could just be like this or if I could achieve that. Uh, We can hope in wealth, either for pleasures that it can provide or for security. We can hope in imminent relief from difficulty or discomfort. Um, So I need to screen for false hope. Screen my thoughts for it. I need to make sure that I am not piling fool's gold into my field. I need to actively think of what and where my treasure is. And this requires time in the word. My negative or foolish thoughts can, can seem reasonable to me if I'm not regularly comparing them with the plumb line of scripture. So what are the benefits Well, Romans 15, 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Biblical hope will provide an anchor for our souls, Hebrews tells us. We won't be shipwrecked. We won't be blown out to sea and swamped. Biblical hope will purify us, according to 1 John. It will change our perspectives and our priorities and our affections. And Romans tells us biblical hope allows us to exalt. But I feel that I can't end without specifically addressing hope in places of deep suffering. Hope is not a denial or an eradication of suffering. But it is looking to him in our suffering with faith for what he is doing and will do in and through it. It's recognizing that he will redeem it. George MacDonald wrote, The Son of God suffered unto the death, not that men might not suffer, but that their sufferings might be like his. So hope assesses that my suffering is real, and God is real. My suffering is not the bottom line of my story. God is. And my suffering will come to an end soon. God is mine forever. Lamentations 3, 21-23 says this, 
I call to mind, therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. And I'm going to close. I'm going to borrow from Elizabeth Elliot a prayer that she wrote, and it's my prayer for us. She says, lead us, Lord, to the rock that is higher than we. Let us hear your word. Give us grace to obey, to build steadily, stone upon stone, day by day, to do what you say. Establish our hearts where floods have no power to overwhelm. For Christ's sake, amen. Thank you.